We're going to start by reading 1 John 5. Thank you for being here when there are so few degrees. Tomorrow you're going to start the day with a deficit of degrees. Today, God has been gracious and given you three of them. 1 John 5, 1 through 5. Will somebody read it boisterously and loudly? Nope, First John 5, 1 through 5. I'm sure that's a wonderful text, but I'm not prepared to talk about that text. First John 5, 1 through 5. Everyone, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves forever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His begin on a slightly different place than we started the first two weeks. Um, the first two weeks, uh, we began by considering the call of the church, um, that we have been called to disciple all of the nations, um, that, that, that God has given us a task that's massive and glorious and good, um, and frankly, most of the church doesn't believe, um, that, that we actually, as the people of God, have been placed in the world, that all the nations would come and bow at the feet of King Jesus, that they would know him and love him and obey him. Um, and that's our task. And so that's where we began the last two weeks. Um, as we talked the first week about um, what does it mean just to be a good Christian. Um, that, that we begin by um, just the, the call to be people who have, been, um, who have faith in Jesus Christ. Who believe that the gospel is true. Um, and then seek to obey him in, in every facet of our lives. Uh, so remember we talked about um, the analogy of be a good egg. Um, we talked about uh, be the kind of Christian that pays your bills. Um, be the kind of Christian that loves your family. Be the kind of Christian that is good to your neighbors. Um, be the kind of Christian who takes the law of God seriously. Um, last week, uh, we talked about don't be an isolated individual. Um, that we belong to covenant. Um, God has created the world such that we're not individuals. We actually belong to um, covenant families. We, we belong to covenant families. And then we are bound together in this thing called the church um, uh, as a covenant body, a covenant community. Um, and, and so that, that gives us in the world um, less, less proneness to be um, tyrannically ruled, um, less, uh, a less of a temptation to be I'm just kind of driven this way and that by whatever wind of doctrine or wind um, of uh, philosophy or ideas that are kind of blowing through the culture around us. And so um, God has given us structures to belong to. And those structures have hierarchies. They have authority. Um, and they are grounded in how God has actually defined us as people, whether that's families um, and uh, the local church. Um, those things actually give us um, a kind of a booing strength in the midst of a culture um, that is seeking to isolate us as individuals um, and is seeking then, in the midst of that isolation, you remember we had a uh, jar of marbles, um, if you can imagine as a bag of marbles. Um, we didn't have a jar of marbles. We had a jar of we did have a jar of marbles, and then we went to those foam balls. Um, so you can isolate us and then kind of pour the oil of uh, 
um, easy sexual immorality uh, in our culture, which makes all of that individualism um, kind of greased up nicely by shame and guilt uh, and, um, and just kind of seeking our own pleasure anywhere and everywhere. Today we're going to be talking about worship, the centrality of the worship of the local church. Um, and, and I want us to begin today, um, in light of what we've talked about, by considering um, the particular predicament that we find ourselves in. Um, I, I think it is uh, pervasive among Christians in our day to believe that the day and age that we're living in is largely normal. Um, that that, that the, the arrangement of God, or what God, we, we, I think, falsely believe, that the arrangement of God is that the church would be largely a minority, uh, a minority community um, made up of people who don't have much influence in society, um, that the word of God is held dearly by just a handful of, of uh, happy people, maybe oppressed and happy people in church basements with fluorescent lighting um, on very cold days when there's not many degrees, um, n- not holding sway or influence in the world. Uh, and, and I want you to know that that isn't the case. With the vast history of the world, it's filled with all kinds of ups and downs in terms of the church's influence in terms of how society has been shaped by the Word of God and the Gospel of God. Um, uh, and, and there's been ebbs and flows throughout history, but predominantly throughout history, um, since the apostles, um, the church has had a voice and has spoken with a kind of authority in the midst of the world, in the midst of the nations, calling that, those nations to repent. And over and over and over again, they did. Um, and, and so uh, we have been trained to think of um, what we're living through right now in, in what I would call a secular age as being normative, as normal. Um, and therefore, we've been trained to just accept it. Um, to accept it and expect that this is how the church should be. Um, we should have our own little quiet, pietistic Christianity deep down in our hearts. Um, and the rest of the world is going to do what the world does um, and not give much concern to the word of God spoken. Um, I, I want to hold out to us that that's not normal um, and not God's intention. Jesus Christ stood with his disciples on a mountain before ascending to the right hand of the Father where he reigns right now over all of heaven and earth. You remember that. Like, and, and what's at the heart of that is not kind of a secret idea that someday Jesus will be Lord. But rather the confession right now, the testimony of Scripture right now, that Jesus Christ rules the nations. That He's King right now. In other words, He has authority right now. So a society um, embedded and and drenched in unbelief with with utter disregard and disdain for all of God's law. Uh, A society that mocks and laughs at the cross. A church that is impotent and doesn't speak with authority in the midst of the nations, in the midst of a city like Denver, is not normal and it's not okay. It's deficient. It's bad. It's not the promise of God and the intention of God for God's people to live as though their Lord and Savior, Jesus, does not have authority over um, the governor's um, office just down the street. Is it, that, it is that direction. 
It's not okay for, for Christians to live as though Jesus Christ has no authority over your neighbors. It's not okay for Christians to believe and to live like it's just normal, it's acceptable, it's just kind of how things are right now, um, that the world would be in rebellion against his authority and rule. That leads to a kind of of quietist or pietistic faith in, in which we love Jesus deep down in our hearts. Maybe we have prayer times in the morning. We occasionally show up to church when it's too cold and we can't go skiing or we... Um, or, or we uh, just I- I accept the results of society's secularism and live out our lives as if Christianity has no real application, no real world authority um, to speak to everything that happens under the sun. This is the exact opposite of the way the early Christians thought, even the apostles who were facing a situation um, Slightly more dire than the one that we're in. The difference between the apostles and the early church fathers and Christians today is, is early church fathers and the apostles looked at the paganism that surrounded them, looked at the rebellion against God that surrounded them, looked um, at, the, at the, uh, the Jewish authorities that crucified and killed King Jesus. They, they looked at all of that around them and rather than saying, oh, this is just how things are. We'll just try to be godly and have good quiet times. Instead, they stood up in the public square. They stood up in the midst of the world um, that they, by faith, gathered week after week after week in public spaces where they could be seen, where they could be arrested, where they could be thrown into jail, where they could be beaten, where they could be killed. And they stood in those spaces and claimed again and again and again, Jesus Christ is King. And for many of us, and for many of, of um, a, a lot of evangelical Christians in our day, we, we see the state of the world, and rather than standing in the midst of that world and declaring with authority that the claims of Jesus, the call of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, we kind of put our heads down, we have our quiet little churches, we have our quiet little Christian lives, and we just accept that this is the nature of the world. Um, and, and so my, where I want us to begin today is from that position. Um, from asserting the idea, this isn't how things ought to be. And that God has actually given us a responsibility as the people of God to stand in the midst of a culture like this and by faith to declare the Lordship of Jesus. By faith to declare and to believe in the cross and the work of Jesus to forgive our sins. To stand and by faith to sing and to pray and to hear the word of God and to believe the word of God and to proclaim the word of God. But by faith to stand in every space that we're in to say there is a God and he has given us a book. And we can know him and we can know what he's called us to in these lives, in this life, and we can know what he's called us to as societies, and we can know what he's called all of the nations to. 
to stand, and whether that involves martyrdom, whether that result, um, it involves losing your job, whether that involves being called a bigot, um, being called a racist, being called whatever name you want under the book. It involves standing with absolute faith, not on yourself, not, not even in the institutional church, but in Jesus and his authority to declare and to live as if his authority is real, as if the resurrection is real. As if the cross is real. As if the law of God is true. And we do that simply and only by faith. And in the center of that witness, the center of how we do that, is I don't think primarily with bullhorns on street corners. I don't think it's primarily in the voting booth. I don't think it's primarily um, in the quiet of your heart on a Tuesday morning. Although, please hear this. I pray that you believe these things and pray these things and study the scriptures in the quiet of your heart on a Tuesday morning. I pray that your understanding of the Lordship of Jesus affects the way that you vote. Pray that some of you maybe have bullhorns and you can use them. Maybe. Um, Um, that you would preach publicly, that you would speak publicly about the authority of Jesus. Now, I think at the center of the people of God's public witness to what is true and what, what bears real authority in the world is what we do here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. The people of God gather in a room by faith. But we gather upstairs by faith, believing that we have actually come together as the church into the very real presence of God. That's what we believe what happens on a Sunday. We've talked about this before. Is when we gather in that room, we gather together as the people of God, and we actually ascend into the throne room of God. We're actually singing and praying um, and, and confessing our sins and eating bread and wine I'm not just in a room symbolically remembering the fact that there is a God somewhere and there's a throne somewhere and we know these things, but rather we actually confess by faith that we have gathered actually where God is. He's actually there with us. When the scriptures are read, God himself is speaking to us in those words. That when we share bread and wine, that God himself is actually feeding us. And we sing songs about the triumph of Jesus. And we sing songs about the grace of Jesus. And we sing songs about the authority of Jesus. Um, what we're doing, we're doing in the presence of God. But we're also doing in the midst of the city. We're also doing in the midst of the nations. In other words, we stand and we sing and we confess and we proclaim and we receive pardon. And we eat and we drink in the presence of our enemies in the presence of those um, in the midst of a city that doesn't know God, doesn't love God, doesn't acknowledge the authority of Jesus, and we declare, you're wrong. We sing, you're wrong. We eat, declaring, in that, in that meal, you're wrong. We live in the midst of a society that keeps guilt and shame with, with glee on everyone, but particularly if you're a white male. And in the midst of that, we declare the forgiveness of sins. 
in the midst of that, we declare that Jesus is the only one who has authority to tell us what sins are and what sins aren't. In other words, there, there's two things happening every time we gather as a church. Um, one, we gather in the presence of God to serve him, to enjoy him, um, to be fed by him. And we gather as the church on Sunday morning as an act of public, as public witness and as public rebellion. Rebelling against the spirit of the age, rebelling against unbelief, rebelling against the world um, that, that, that denies the authority of Jesus, that denies the authority of God's word, that denies the authority um, of, of what's declared to us to be true in the gospels, that your sins are forgiven, um, that denies the goodness of God's law, that, that denies um, the, the absolute righteousness and, and, and goodness of God. And in the midst of that, we stand defiantly every single week and declare you're wrong. God is the Lord. You're wrong. His law is wise and good. You're wrong. In Jesus Christ, sins are forgiven. You're wrong. Our God is not distant and hard and harsh. He's kind and he's merciful and he feeds us from his very body and blood. And so we gather in worship. We gather um, as an act of serving God, of acknowledging his authority, of acknowledging being reminded together of his grace that's been given to us in the cross, being fed by God and nourished by God from his word, and fed by God and nourished by God in the sacraments. But we also gather together as an act of public witness to say we're not alone. Like, like religion is not this kind of merely this personal relationship between, between me and God. We, we, we gather even in that space to say it's not merely kind of a personal relationship between my family and God. We gather together and say these are my brothers and sisters. I'm not defined by race. Not but defined by socioeconomic background. Um, in other words, we, we gather defiantly, maybe in a unique way in our age, to say um, we're not individualists. We're not marbles in a jar covered with oil. We are, in fact, the people of God gathered. We belong to one another. We love one another. We, we, we serve one another. We lift others above ourselves. We do all of this in the presence of God on account of what God himself has done for us. So two things when we gather. We come to serve, glorify, and honor our God. He measures everything that we do on Sunday. He is the measure of everything that we do on a Sunday. It's not about you and your emotions. It's not about how how I feel about a certain thing. Um, It's not about how you feel about a certain thing. At the end of the day, we gather in the presence of God to please God. Um, not to please me. And secondly, we gather in the presence of God as an act of defiant public witness. Defiance against unbelief. Defiance against rebellion. Defiance against all the principalities and powers that would claim God's own authority and the authority of Jesus for themselves. Understand? Um, and I think we've misunderstood and, and been mistaught about worship is. Rather than thinking of worship as those things primarily, um, we've, we've talked about 
church uh, worship services as worship experiences. So you come to have something done to you. It's kind of weird. Um, that was kind of all the rage in the early 2000s. You didn't have a worship service. You had a worship experience, um, which was generally accompanied by lights and lasers and smoke machines. Um, uh, you, uh, you, you, we've been trained to assess a worship service and the goodness of a worship, worship service. By the way, we cover it with all kinds of pious language. Like, oh, like God really showed up. Or like, that was really powerful. Um, but the, the, the real measure there is how I feel. The real measure is how did it affect me? Did I leave there happy? Did I leave there encouraged? Did I like the music? Was the preacher personable enough or good looking enough? Which you guys never have to worry about every week. <laughs> um, was, the, was the preaching relatable? Um, did I, were people nice enough to me? Like the, we, we've been trained to think of, which isn't to say that, that preaching shouldn't be clear. It's not to say that music shouldn't be skillfully done. It's not to say that people shouldn't be friendly. But, but it is to say we've, we've been trained to think about and evaluate churches and the gathering of the church for worship, primarily in terms of ourselves and our own feelings. Um, and, and that's exactly backwards. Um, the, the, the measure of all things when we gather on a Sunday is God. It's, was God's word honored? Was God's holiness honored? Was the gospel faithfully proclaimed? Was the word of God faithfully taught and preached with real authority? Um, was the word of God sung? Was the word of God prayed? Um, was the, the body and the blood of Jesus portrayed and set before us again as the very center of our life. Um, and, and it's important to me that, that I, well, I'll just say this. We have to see one, and this is what I've been actually praying for this week uh, for our church, whether it's um, what we're about to do in worship or what we're doing right now um one that we'd feel the weight and the urgency of this particular cultural moment the lostness of our age the 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 frankly pain and disillusionment of our age secular nature of our age and that we'd be troubled by it and in that trouble by faith we would plead with God to come and do what only God can do. Um, that there'd be an urgency about our worship. There'd be a ferocity about our worship. That there'd be a kind of defiance at the heart of our worship. Uh, a, a submissive defiance, if you can imagine that. Not defiant to God, but to defiant to unbelief. Defiant to the lies um, that we've been tempted to believe this week. That there'd be an urgency, that there'd be a weight to our worship, a weight that accords with the reality that we gather in the, in the presence of a holy God, a living God, um, the, uh, a, a kind of seriousness, a serious joy that marks our worship because we gather in the presence of a living and holy God um, who has spoken. Imagine the weight of that. that. That we're not just theorizing about this God, but this God has actually spoken to us from his word. And when I talk about that, I'm not, I'm not 
I'm not saying that I want merely kind of a, a certain set of emo, um, certain set of emotions or certain kind of emotional energy. Emotions can absolutely be manufactured. Um, a few years ago, U2 uh, was streaming a concert online, and uh, um, I was watching the concert and then also watching um, various pastor friends of mine, some of them not good friends. Um, comment on the U2 concert and numerous ones said this is like better than any worship service I've ever been to which left me dumbstruck because these are pastors who are saying this and and what struck me is because they've equated worship real worship, vibrant worship, earth changing worship in terms of a set of emotions so Bono can sing about the corruption of the arms trade and they think this, has to, this is the same thing that we do when we gather on a Sunday to sing and herald the glorious good news of who Jesus is, of his reign over all things and the cross. Um, in other words, you can play the right chord progression. You can set the right mood in the room. Um, you can use candles or you can use smoke machines because smoke reminds you of the Holy Spirit. Um, and you can use lasers because... I don't know why churches use lasers, but they do. Evidently, they're very powerful. Um, And you can kind of place yourself in the middle of that. um, And if you use the right chord progression, you can make people feel stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a sense of the holiness of God. I'm talking about a sense of the holiness of God that's grounded not in emotional manipulation, but it's grounded in faith. Faith that believes that the words of God are true. Faith that believes what God says about himself is true. Faith that believes when we come into that room, we gather in the holy of holies. But where hundreds of thousands of saints longed to gather throughout the whole of the old covenant. But in Christ we're welcomed in. And then I want to have four, count them, four points but what should mark this defiant witness um, as we gather on Sundays? So first, uh, we gather on the Lord's Day to partake of real food and um, to partake uh, of a, a real sense of God's grace and love to us. So when we gather in that room... It is, in one sense, a way of bearing witness to the world. Man shall not live on bread alone. But we don't just need money. We don't just need financial security. We actually need something from God. And so we gather on Sundays. We gather coming to God and asking Him to feed us. And so He feeds us primarily through His Word. And He feeds us through the sacraments. That was point number one, if you're counting. Point number two, we gather on the Lord's Day to declare the sovereign rule of God over all of us and over all the nations. And we come as a people on a Sunday because God has commanded us to come as a people on a Sunday. In other words, it's its most basic and raw reality is it's an act of obedience. So even if the preacher is a little chubby, and bald, 
And the preaching's kind of dull that week because he keeps talking about Saul. Saul's lame, especially this week. Um, and it gets lame, and you want to go skiing. Whatever the thing is, we gather on the Lord's Day in the Lord's presence with the Lord's people as an act of obedience. Now, I pray it's more than that. Well, I pray that by faith it's more than that. But at one level, just the simple fact that we show up declares the fact that we don't have authority of our own lives. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to someone else. And he's commanded us to come. And he's commanded us to sing. And he's commanded us to pray. And he's commanded us to confess our sins. And he's commanded us to believe when he tells us our sins are pardoned through the work of Jesus. He's commanded us to hear his word and to meditate in his word and to believe his word. And he's commanded us to eat bread and wine as often as you gather together. And even commands us to then go out and live faithfully in the world. And so we gather in obedience to those commands. We gather for joy. We gather to be nourished. We also gather to obey. And in that gathering, we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In that gathering, we confess that there's someone who can command us to gather. Does that make sense? Now, we, we, we commend more of the sovereignty of God than merely gathering on a Sunday morning. We gather, but we also declare and we sing. Um, and in all of those songs, there's theology. And in the preaching, there's theology. And in the prayers, there's theology. And that theology, um, at its root, um, says a number of different true things about God. Um, but, the, but the note of what our preaching should be, should be marked by, what our singing should be marked by, is declaring in the midst of the nations, a celebrating, really, that God is the Lord. He's sovereign over all things. Now think about that for a moment, because think about where we sit right now. God, at least for this season, has placed us in a church building half a block away from a whole bunch of people who claim to be sovereign over at least the state of Colorado, who claim to be lords, at least over the state of Colorado. And in the midst of that, we declare, no, there, there is another Lord. We sing, there is another Lord. We declare on the Lord's day the sovereign rule of God and that we don't belong to ourselves and the nations don't belong to themselves and the state of Colorado doesn't belong to itself, um, but rather all of it, all of it belongs to Jesus. Next, third, if you're winning points. We gather on the Lord's Day to celebrate the salvation that has been accomplished by Jesus. This may be self-evident and obvious. After all, we're Christians. Um, But we renew covenant every time we gather on a Sunday. In other words, we come together and it's like uh, if your parents ever did or maybe some of you are getting old enough. We're getting close. Um, and they did a vow renewal ceremony. Um, we do that every single Sunday. Come in the presence of God and renew the fact that we are bound to him and that in the work of Jesus and through the blood of Jesus and through the death of Jesus on our behalf in which he took on all of our sins so that we could be reunited with God, and we come every single Sunday to re-rehearse those vows. Say them again. 
to confess them again. So one of the things we do when we gather on the Lord's Day is in the midst of a culture that is alienated from God, is we come and confess, you don't have to be alienated from God. We come and confess, I'm in the midst of a culture that is intent on carrying its sins. Um, Redefining those sins. Redefining the nature of sin. But intent on carrying all that it wants to carry, we confess that Christ has borne our sins for us. In, in, In a culture that is dripping with guilt. We come together and we confess that Christ has taken all, all of our guilt from us. And we do that every single Sunday. And if you think about the pressures that are on you, the, the, the thousands of voices you hear, pages you read, ads you come across, that press upon you the complete opposite. But what a glorious thing that God in His grace has commanded us to gather every single week in His presence so that He can personally through His Word, remind us your sins are forgiven. Christ has dealt with your sins. You don't have to carry them anymore. I forgive you. I forgive you and I welcome you to myself. So we gather to be fed, um, to be fed by God, to confess that man will not live on bread alone. We're not dependent on, merely dependent on, all the things that our neighbors think they are merely dependent on. We actually need God's words. We need God's food. Second, we come to declare the sovereign rule, His authority over all things. Third, we come to renew our vows to God and to receive again the salvation that's been accomplished for us by Jesus to confess that it's true. I can't read my own handwriting. Oh, and we come every Sunday uh, because we believe that the worship of the church is the engine that drives the world. So in weeks past, we talked about being a good egg, just living faithfully as a Christian in every single facet of your life, every single spot that God places you, whether that's as a husband or a wife, whether that's as a neighbor or a roommate, whether that's as a coffee shop barista or ministering to um, Air Force Zoomies, um, or that's a friend of mine. He ministers to Air Force Zoomies, and you should talk to him because the Air Force is terrible. Um, and, uh, and, um, I'm just joking. It's great. You know, whatever. Um, uh, he, whether you're a husband or a wife, a child, a student, uh, a coffee shop barista, a grandparent, I mean, all of those places just... Step one, how do we change the world? Just be a faithful Christian in all of those different places and vocations God sent us. Um, two, last week we talked about the fact that we're bound together in covenant, in families, and in church bodies. Next week we're going to talk about work and vocation as holy. Um, that we're called to do the work, whatever that work is. Um, ha, 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 you've been called into it by God. And that you're primary, I'm the primary person you serve as you sell oil rig parts, maybe? Um, pipes stuff um or yeah you do it too oil stuff lots of oil people um or or you are a husband or you're a wife or you're raising kids or you're educating kids um all of those things have been declared holy by god and and the primary person you serve in that work is god but the thing that drives 
all of it, that informs and shapes all of it, that that creates the kind of right orientation towards God and your neighbor is what we do here on Sundays. It is the engine, I'm mixing metaphors now, actually using the same metaphor but pushing it too far. Um, It's the fuel that drives all of that. And it's the engine that drives the car of all of that. Um, It's this thing that shapes and determines how you show up at work on Monday. It's the thing that shapes and determines um, who you are when you go home to your family um, at the end of a a long work day. It's the thing that shapes who you are as you relate to neighbors, as you relate to coworkers, as you deal with annoying roommates. It's the engine that, that, that drives all of that. Um, it is this thing that we come back to again and again and again every single Lord's Day. That He is sovereign. That He has redeemed us and saved us through, um, completely through the work of Jesus. Um, that we are defiant in an age of unbelief. That, that we make claims on state senators and governors and mayors. That, that they are answerable to the authority of King Jesus. Um, it's a reminder when we go to work, um, this is what we'll talk about next week, when you go to work on Monday and your boss asks you to, to, to fudge some numbers on a sales report um, or, or to uh, maybe for you to compromise um, your views on gender or sexuality in order to keep your job in the midst of all of that, the thing that drives it and our response to those things is a reminder that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ has redeemed me. Um, As Heidelberg question number one says, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul to my living Savior, Jesus Christ, who's paid for me with his blood. And every Sunday when we gather, my number one task, and the elders' number one task, is to set before you that reality over and over, monotonously, repeatedly, again and again and again. Those glorious truths. Our God reigns. And he has accomplished your salvation through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. So worship is warfare. Worship is the center of our lives. When we gather together with the covenant community of God, we gather in the presence of God. To be reminded of those things. To be renewed in those things. And to confess those things. And to bear witness to those things in the midst of the world. Uh, let me pray, and if you guys want to stick around and chat for a bit, um, talk about it, we can. Got about five or six minutes, so you got to pick up the kids upstairs. Uh, but next week we'll close this out with talking about work and vocation, um, and how that is a part of our call to change the world. Let's pray. So Father, I pray that the weight and the wonder, both of those things, of what we're about to do in your presence would strike us and stir us this morning. That there be a sense of, of defiant joy in the heart of our singing and confessing and praying and listening and eating this morning. That there be a sense of your holiness and the gravity of what it means to be a people redeemed by you, saved by you, called by you, and sent by you. And that God, that we would honor you. We wouldn't honor ourselves wouldn't place ourselves and our own preferences at the center of the worship of your people, 
Rather, we place the center of it you and your name and your renown and your grace and your holiness and your righteousness. In your name we pray. Amen.